Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. Good morning, good morning, welcome and good afternoon and good evening. Welcome to our show, number 938. Well, the smoky haze from hundreds of wildfires across large parts of Canada that descended upon many American and Canadian cities this week, especially in the Northeast, has finally begun to dissipate, although a few places like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia are still being affected as we do our show live here on the 11th of June. We know about the effect all this has had on people and now we ask how these fires are affecting birds and we have a special guest in a few minutes here this morning who will give us some answers to that question meanwhile right now we have a couple of avian audio postcards one from roy boyle in western maryland and one from Lori and ralph in new zealand here's roy treating us to some beautiful bird sounds The barred owl calling off in the distance here in Savage River State Forest in Western Maryland. It's about 6.15. We've got oven birds, wood thrushes, and barred owls. Looks like it's going to be a good day. Take care. Thank you so much, Roy. And now, from nearly 9,000 miles southwest of Maryland, let's hear from Lori and Ralph and friends at Tafaranui Regional Park, just north of Auckland, New Zealand. Hi, Ray. Lori and Ralph here. Hello from New Zealand. Thank you so much, Lori and Ralph, and thank you, Roy, for those beautiful audio postcards. We love getting them. If you'd like to make one, just uh, get out there wherever you're looking at some birds with your smartphone or digital recording device and do a little narrative and email it to ray at talkingbirds.com. That's ray at talkingbirds.com. want to say hello to a friend and Talking Birds ambassador here in our home state of Massachusetts, Gino Ellison, whose Birds and uh, Brews group, Birds and Brews, stages some terrific events 
And thanks to Gino, we had the chance to be part of the audience last week to hear a talk by Tiffany Kirsten, who broke the lower 48 big year record in 2021 with 726 species. Thank you, Gino, and keep up the good work there. And another Bay Stater we'd like to say a quick shout-out to, it's Jim Joyce from the Friends of Horn Pond. Jim was with us on the show last week, detailing their wonderful plurting efforts there, picking up litter while birding as they beautify and uh, make extra safe that beautiful recreational area. And uh, Jim has given this email address. Uh, if you have a group or are part of a group that would like to do something really special for the area you're trying to protect. I want to give you this address. We don't usually give email addresses because they can be tricky to pick up on, but this one is pretty simple, so I think easy to remember. It's just friendsofhornpond at gmail.com. Friendsofhornpond at gmail.com. And Jim will provide some info on all the secrets they've uh, unveiled and how to make this a really successful thing. And that is our mystery bird. It's a preview of our contest. That sounds pretty familiar. <laughs> we'll do the contest itself in just a little bit, but this is just kind of get you ready for that. So we'll get our calls in uh, as early as possible when we do the contest. Our mystery bird is a very large and striking sparrow. The male has a black throat, head and upper parts, rust-colored sides and a white belly with white tail corners that are easily visible in flight. Females are brown on the head, throat, and back. Our bird can be found in just about the entire eastern half of the U.S., from Maine to Florida in the east, now to the eastern parts of Wyoming and Texas in the west. Some clues there. We'll add some if we need to as we do the contest. Beautiful prizes include a brome squirrel buster, standard feeder from brome bird care, and a 12-ounce bag of our uh, favorite coffee, bird-friendly, shade-grown, and delicious birds and beans coffee. All coming along here in our Mystery Bird Contest in just a little bit. little salute here to more Talking Birds ambassadors, the royalty of the Talking Birds listening family, helping us to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. And thank you to Linda Daly from San Clemente, California. And Linda says, where have I been? Just started listening to your podcast on my daily non-birding walks. I'm back to 2019, getting through about three per day. I've been birding seriously for about 10 years, yet every show provides a new tidbit of information. I especially learning more, enjoy learning more about eastern species for future birding travels. I've shared the Talking Birds site with many of my birding friends, happy to spread the word about birds. Thank you so much, Lyndon. Thank you to John H. from Bristol, Rhode Island. John says, happy to share that or say that since my retirement, I've been birding at least four days a week and have been volunteering with the Audubon Society of Rhode Island. That is great. And thank you, John. And say hello to our friends there at Audubon, Rhode Island. Here's another Talking Birds ambassador explaining why she likes to be one. 
My name is Tanya Kinani, and I'm from Arlington, Virginia. I like being a talking bird ambassador because it lets me share with others my enthusiasm about birds, and also, in particular, when someone asks me a question, hey, what do you like about birding, or how do you do birding, I have a great way to share with them because I can share with them the show. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our Ambassadors family. It's easy to do. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. And, hello. Are we on? We are on. Still to come today, we'll get some answers to the questions about how birds are being affected by all those wildfires in Canada. When we welcome the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's senior science editor, Hugh Powell, to the show. Plus, Mike O'Connor will join us from Cape Cod for an almost live from the archived installment of of Let's Ask Mike, in which he describes his work as a backyard videographer. And up next, a featured feathered friend with a plumage pattern that is unique in North America is presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. We'll start this off with a snippet of a poem called Robert of Lincoln by 19th century American poet William Cullen Bryant, who wrote, Merrily swinging on briar and weed, Robert of Lincoln is telling his name, Bobolink, Bobolink, Spink, Spank, Spink. The Bobolink is the only North American bird with dark underparts and a light-colored back, a pattern which apparently helps the male stand out while performing displays. The male bobolink, and the female in a more subdued way, also sports an unmistakable breeding plumage field mark. The nape, or back of the head and neck, is a creamy yellowish color. After breeding, this medium-sized songbird changes into drab, camouflaged plumage for the rest of the year. When it comes to spring migration, the bobolink does it in a big way, traveling from south of the equator and completing a round trip of more than 12,000 miles. The Cornell Lab says that one female bobolink, known to be at least nine years old, was presumed to have made the trip in each of those years, racking up a total distance equivalent to circling the Earth four and a half times at the equator. We love the bobolink here in North America, but down in their wintering grounds in Argentina, Bolivia, and Paraguay, they're often considered agricultural pests as big flocks descend on croplands, including rice fields, giving the bobolink one of its nicknames, the rice bird. It's also known as the skunk blackbird, meadowink, reed bird, and thanks to that yellowish nape, the butterbird. The bobolink's scientific name, Dolichonyx oriziferus, translates to something like rice-devouring longclaw. Here's the bobolink's rolling, jangling song. Look for this migration champion in grassy or weedy meadows, often at the top of plant stalks, foraging for oats, corn, and weed seeds, along with occasional insects. Bobolinks usually feed during the day, but will also forage after dark on moonlit nights when they're building fat reserves for their long flights over the Caribbean Sea and the Gulf of Mexico. 
And here's a bit more of that William Cullen Bryant poem. Robert of Lincoln is gaily dressed, wearing a bright black wedding coat. White are his shoulders and white his crest. Hear him call in his merry note. Bobolink, Bobolink, spink, spank, spink. Today's featured feathered friend, Dolichonyx oruziferus, the Bobolink. Welcome again to our show number 938. Hugh Powell is the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's senior science editor and editor of their fabulous All About Birds website and species guide. And he joins us this morning to tell us how birds are being affected by those big wildfires in Canada. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me. My pleasure indeed. Thanks for coming back after a a long absence. When was that? It was... uh, Back in the 70s. No, it wasn't that. uh, (laughs) Well, you have some prior experience, Hugh, that gives you some special insight into the whole issue of wildfires, right? Uh, I do. Back when I, in my early uh, grad student days, uh, about 20 years ago, I I worked in uh, burned forests out in Montana and Idaho studying the black-backed woodpecker, which is just a fascinating species that is really closely tied to burned forests. And I'll say I really grew to love being in burned forests, so I hope I get a chance to talk to you about that. <laughs> well, you uh, you will indeed. So uh, birds nesting or attempting to in Canada now, how much are they being affected by the fires? Yeah, you know, this is something that's really hard to know. Um, I, I'd like to be able to give you a really clear answer. Um, you know, I just want to start by just sketching out the you know, the, the extent of the fires. So there's about 130 fires burning in Quebec right now and about mm. 60 or so in Ontario. Mm. This is mostly about 500 miles north of New York City in the boreal forest. So it's kind of a long way away. But as we know, the smoke uh, is, there's so much smoke that it's even affecting us all the way down here, 500 miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is a place, this is a boreal forest. So it's a lot of, um uh, black spruce, white spruce, tamarack, um, and uh, trembling aspen, and uh, those kinds of boreal trees um, with lots of those beautiful warblers that we see coming through in migration, like bay-breasted in Cape May, morning in Connecticut. Um, there's things like pine grosbeaks and evening grosbeaks in the in the trees uh, in the forest there, and um, so we we don't know a whole lot about how smoke inhalation affects birds. Mm. Um, but we can basically presume these birds breathe air just like we do. And in fact, they have very much more efficient uh, breathing respiratory system than we do. They're actually able to make much better use of the air that they breathe, which probably also means that they are affected more by the smoke that they breathe in. It probably causes some of the same symptoms like respiratory distress and, and inflammation in their airways. Um, and of course, these are highly athletic creatures, right? These are um, the, these these birds are using up lots of oxygen, and they're doing lots of flying. Particularly, if you think about birds like swallows, or of course hummingbirds, um, and birds that that have to fly a lot in order to to make their living. So, I guess we'll have to wait some time, right, to find out just what the effects are. Yeah, up in Canada, you know, certainly these are large areas that are burning, and those 
birds will probably lose their attempt their their reproductive attempt this year so they probably have nests started and they're just going to have to probably leave those nests now fortunately the adults are very mobile and they will be able to fly away they should be able to fly away from the forest some of them might even find some nearby forest that doesn't burn they may be able to get off a, a nesting attempt this year mm-hmm. uh, but in general these birds will probably wait until next year to try to try to make up for this year mm-hmm. um, well you're somebody yeah. who certainly appreciates uh, the positive aspects of uh, of fire and fire of forest fires many of us grew up watching Smokey the Bear saying only you can prevent forest fires and the idea then I think was to never let any fire start if if possible but we've uh, learned that that wasn't such a good idea was it that's right and i hope that message is getting out now you know i love smoky bear as much as any other kid did i grew up in the 70s um and and really i feel like that message got burned into everybody's brain um as and and actually so it was helpful in making people careful about their campfires but it also made us feel like any kind of a forest fire is uh is a unnatural and that it's a a tragedy and and you hear this and you read this in articles all the time whenever somebody talks about a forest fire they you almost always get all this imagery of apocalyptic landscapes and um and and devastating effects and and how it's a tragedy that will take centuries to recover but in fact what's something that fire ecologists have known for a long time is that these kinds of forest fires even the ones that burn up every single tree and kills every tree in the forest those are very natural um, events that have been happening for thousands upon thousands of years and there are many species of uh, plants amphibians mammals and and birds that are very well adapted to those um to those burned landscapes and actually um prosper in those landscapes when they happen mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, yeah, we know a number of species that that certainly applies to. We're uh, rapidly run out, running out of time yeah. here, uh, Hugh, but uh, we know it's been a warm, dry spring in Canada, uh, maybe contributing to all those fires, but there's always the elephant in the room, climate change. What mm. do we know about its effect? Yeah, so, like I say, um, forest fires have always been a natural part of the landscape, mm-hmm. but... One of the insidious things that's happened in the last, and become really clear in the last 20 years is the effect of climate change. So it used to be that, cli- that the, the season in the year during which it was warm enough and dry enough for forests to burn was much shorter, mm-hmm. maybe just a few months in the, in the late summer. Mm-hmm. Um, now the, the forests are heating up and the fuel is drying out earlier. And then those rains or snows that come at the end of the year are getting pushed back to September or October. And in fact, it looks like the fire season has gotten two or three months longer um, in the last, it, as, a, as an effect, as a direct effect of climate change. And what that means is that the forests get a lot drier. When a fire starts, it can burn a lot longer. And when those fires get big, they are very, very resistant to firefighting effects. So we have very many brave, brave forest firefighters mm-hmm. But they're just up against nature, and that, and it's just a massive force that is very hard to control. Mm-hmm. Hugh Powell is the Cornell Lab of Ornithology Senior Science Editor. Hugh, thank you so much for your insights into the causes and effects of these wildfires. And I'd like to invite you to come back soon. I'm putting you on the spot here uh, sometime to talk about the marvelously comprehensive website, 
and Species Guide, of which you're the editor, all about birds. Well, I'd sure love to. Thanks for having me, Ray, and thanks for everybody for listening. Hugh Powell here on Talking Birds, and up next, it's our Mystery Bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. A pretty familiar sound to many. It's our mystery bird. And here's an important note about our mystery bird contest in particular. And that is that you can hear our show live anywhere on planet Earth with an Internet connection. So you could take part in our mystery bird contest in case you thought you couldn't. Just go to TalkingBirds.com, click on the Listen tab and see how to do it. Our live broadcast is on Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10 Eastern. It's our Mystery Bird Contest, and here is the number to call. As always, we urge you and even beg you to call as soon as you can so that we'll have time to do the contest. We're even a little bit um, later than usual this morning. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. Our Mystery Bird is a very large and very striking sparrow, even though it doesn't have that word in its name. The male has a black throat, head and upper parts, rust-colored sides and a white belly, with white tail corners that are easily visible in flight. Females are brown on the head, throat and back. Our thick-billed bird can be found in just about the entire eastern half of the U.S., from Maine in the north to Florida down south, all of that in the east, and then out to the eastern parts of Wyoming and Texas in the west, and in bits of southern Canada. It breeds pretty much in the northern half of the country and winters or spends the whole year in the southern half. Our mystery bird is known for its vigorous two-footed scratching technique by which it uncovers insects on which it feeds. It also eats acorns and seeds and berries. And it's our mystery bird. That number again is 781-837-4900. If you haven't been a winner in six months, you're eligible to... uh, Take part in the Mystery Bird Contest, 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we'll hear from backyard videographer Mike O'Connor. It's Let's Ask Mike live, not live, but almost live from the archive. And I should mention, before panic sets in, um, this this is from a Father's Day show. So as we do our show here, it's the 11th of June, so not to panic. Father's Day is a, a week away. Uh, let's ask Mike in just one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology, from field guides to photography skills, biography, 
fiction, and humor. You'll find it all, along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for, in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com. B-U-T-E-O. Beautyobooks.com. Quest Nature Tours has offered exceptional tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. In 2023, join us in search of colorful bird life and jaguars in Brazil or on our brand new Zambia Safari. See amazing wildlife and explore habitats with travel companions who truly enjoy nature. Talking Birds listeners receive a $150 credit towards their first tour. Visit QuestNatureTours.com today. Birds and much more, guaranteed. Well, when we called Mike O'Connor this morning, we were surprised to discover that he was watching TV. Surprised because, as far as I know, the Flintstone reruns are not still airing on Sunday mornings. But then we find out he's watching something else on TV. And we might find out if Mike is actually there. Are you there, Mike? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have all the Flintstones recorded, so I don't have to wait for them to air. Oh, DVD or Blu-ray? Blue, are you kidding me? <laughs> hey, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, by the way. Happy Father's Day to you, Mike. And back in your yard there, you have a father of a certain bird species flying around there, not helping much, as I understand. <laughs> That's right. right. I've got a... Um a couple of years ago, I, I, I put a camera, and they sell these little Hawkeye cameras that you can put into birdhouses, and then you can watch them on your computer or your TV screen if yeah. they have the right output jacks. And I can hear it now. Yeah. And I had chickadees for a number of years, so I thought I'd get creative and try something new, and I put it in a great crested flycatcher's box. Well, you know, that didn't work because I went a couple of years with n- nobody living in the box. Apparently, they didn't want to sign the model release, so I couldn't work a contract. <laughs> With their agent. It's complicated. But, but this year, I um, after a, a number of weeks, I all of a sudden got uh, flycatchers building a nest, and the female has been building the nest uh, for the last two weeks, and she's unbelievably entertaining. She at the beginning she brought straw and grasses, and then she finishes it off with like fine feathers and fine grasses and even bits of animal fur and then right at the very end and she had so much it was so fun she brought sometimes she brings so much nesting material she couldn't fly, find the hole she'd like hit the wrong <laughs> side of the box and bounce out and, and the whole time the old man thinking of father's day he's just like standing around going you know whatever yeah whatever you know, that's the way she is but he he has nothing to do with anything except keeping an eye on things because he did he didn't and then and then she finished it off with some some cellophane, some just garbage cellophane she found somewhere. And, you know, there's a lot of debate on that because a lot of the fly kitchen nests have snakeskin. Yeah. And I'm so glad she didn't find any snakeskin in my yard. But she did find some cellophane. And they wonder what that's for. Some think it's just because they like the, the shininess of it. Other people claim it has to do with keeping uh, predators away, namely flying squirrels. So there's a lot of debate on that. But clearly she did that and and then this morning i got up and um and here's what happens which is interesting if you don't um you know if you can't really see what's in the box a lot of people say the birds built a nest and then they left well they after the nest is built they these birds left for about a week nothing and you think well they abandoned it but that's kind of usually what they do and then she comes in and starts to lay the eggs and this morning she was i hadn't seen her for a week and then this morning she was in the box and then she left and there were two eggs and she took off and the old man the old man meanwhile is just like so done with her he was in the he was taking a bath he was in the in the bird bath <laughs> so she got two eggs and probably 
I'll keep you guys posted on this update, but this camera is fun, and it's, it's, it's keeping me off the streets is what it's doing. Good. Well, then, just as long as it's doing that, you're ahead of the game right there. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep you posted on what's going on. All right, Mike. Talk to you next week. Okay. Mike O'Connor there at Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, and great crested flycatcher nesting in his backyard bird box, and he's got the video camera proving it there. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Whether you enjoy birds in your backyard or far afield, you'll find information in every issue to help you find, track, identify, and understand birds. Regular contributors include Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and other birding experts. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Okay, we have about 11 seconds to uh, complete our mystery bird contest here. Watson is somewhere in North Carolina. Good morning, Watson. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm sorry to be so tight on time here with you, but uh, what is the answer to our mystery bird question? Yeah. I think it is the Eastern Tohee. I'm glad you got it. You are absolutely right. Watson, thank you. Stay on the line and we'll get your info. Okay, thanks. <laughs> All right, you're welcome. Eastern Tohee was the answer. That's it for our show this morning. Thanks for being with us and see you next week. The bird show. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with a VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com.